Welcome to a refreshing podcast from Life Church. Get ready. The Word of God will be planted into your heart and will produce God's best in your life. We're going to have a good time in the Word. Praise God. Thank you, Lord, for what you have in store for us. It is good. We're attentive and we're receptive in Jesus' name. Amen. I started three weeks ago a series called Honestly, Are You Lonely? Honestly, Are You Lonely? And I've been getting a lot of good reports. If you're not aware, uh, we have a weekly podcast. Uh, I would say 90% of our messages are on there. Sometimes we do miss a week. But uh, most, for the most part, all of our messages are on there starting from 2010. <laughs> so, I mean, it's a catalog of messages that will bless you. So if you're not aware of that, you can go to our website and link to our podcast. And um, several people have reached out to me to say that the messages, even though they haven't been able to come, uh, the messages have been a blessing to them. And so I'm really excited. And I, I want you to know that there's a difference between listening to it on podcasts and, of course, being in the corporate um, setting, uh, but however you receive it, I believe the Lord has a message for you today that you don't have to be lonely. And I said this a couple of weeks ago, I'll say it again, many people are lonely today. And they're around people, they know people. It's not that they have to be lonely, but they feel lonely. It's not that there's no one, that there's no one around them, it's that they feel disconnected. Okay, so loneliness is not a function of people not being around you. It's a function of being and feeling disconnected from people. I know husbands and wives who feel lonely and they sleep right next to each other each and every night, but they're lonely. They're close, but they're disconnected. They're people who are around family members, you know, loved ones, friends, but disconnected. Loneliness is a plague, I believe, that has plagued many people. And the reason we wanted to call it honestly, are you lonely? is because sometimes people have a hard time admitting that they are lonely. Because saying I'm lonely oftentimes makes people feel like I'm a reject, that something's wrong with me, no one likes me, and that is not true. So we want to learn and tap into the grace of fulfillment and connection, divine connection that God makes available to us. There is no need for you to be lonely anymore. And today is the last day of this series, but it's going to be a blessing. I'm telling you, you're going to walk out of here no longer feeling lonely. Amen. Are you excited about that? The statement came to me. and I want to repeat this very clearly. It's a very, um, doesn't sound good. But, I, but it's true anyway, so let me say it. You will lose what you fear losing. I'm gonna just say it straight out like that. You will lose what you fear losing. That's a promise from the word. So one of the things I caution myself is, you know how you, you hear there's nothing to fear but fear itself, right? I think JFK said that, right? I really like that because it's true. The thing that you fear losing, you will actually lose. So the key to not losing is to not fearing. Fear is very, very dangerous. And you may think, okay, how does this have to do with loneliness? Well, because loneliness and fear are closely connected. The reason why people feel lonely is because fear is an invitation for loneliness to creep into your life. Jesus said it this way, Luke 9, 24. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. 
Whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. In other words, Jesus was challenging people's commitment. And he knew the impulses of certain people. And there's some people who are safeguarding parts of their life. And they don't want to lose certain things. So they don't allow God in certain areas in their hearts. They're trying to save it. Jesus is saying, guess what? If you're trying to save your life, you're going to lose it. If you're trying to hold on to something, you're going to lose it. But if you lose it, if you sow it, if you give it, if it doesn't have any bearing on who you are and you hold on to it loosely, you'll actually gain it. And here's the point I'm making here as it relates to loneliness. Many times people are lonely is because they have feared losing and that fear of losing has caused them to lose. And what they were trying to hold on to so that they don't feel lonely has left them. And because it has left them, they've ended up lonely. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And so I want to show, with you, I'll show to you one of the amazing stories I love, and that is King Saul. Saul, to me, is one of the perfect case studies of what it means to be afraid and end up losing. King Saul, if you don't know, was the very first king established in the nation of Israel. In fact, King Saul wasn't even something that God wanted. He wanted to be the king of Israel. But the people said, no, we want to be like the other nations. God, make us like the other nations. Everybody else has a king. Everyone else has a ruler. We want to be like them. I'm telling you something, people. There is a danger in comparing yourself with other people. Because God wanted to establish something that has never been done before. And he says, listen, I know that other nations have kings and they have rulers and it looks royal. It looks nice. It looks, it looks dignified. But trust me, you don't need a king. You don't need a human being to rule over. I want to be your ruler. And he says, no, 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 God, you've done enough. You've, done, you've, you, you've, you've delivered us out of Egypt. That was wonderful. You parted the Red Sea. Thank you. I mean, you've given us manna from heaven. We appreciate it. Lord, you've done enough. Now we need a man to rule us. And God told Samuel, the prophet, he says, okay, before I do this, I want you to describe to the people of God what this actually means. What's going to actually happen once you get this ruler? And Samuel went through great detail. You're going to have a ruler who's going to be harsh, who's going to turn your hearts away from God, who's going to cause judgments to come upon the nation. I mean, God went through the details of all that would happen. And they said, yeah, we still want that. Sounds silly, but that's exactly what happened. And God said, okay. This is what you call the permissive will of God. Somebody say the permissive will of God. Not the perfect will of God, the permissive will of God. Some things God will permit, but it's not his perfect will. It's amazing. It shows you how powerful we are in God, that we can, we, can, we, can act, we can get God to release something that is not his perfect will. But okay, I'll do that. And so that's what they did. We want a man. And that first man was King Saul. Saul was a very handsome man. He was very tall. He stood head and shoulders above everyone else, but he was insecure. When they called for him to be anointed king, the Bible says that he was hiding 
He was hiding among stuff. He, did, he was hiding, think about it, he was thinking, hiding around bushes. No, don't call me, I don't want this. But he was called to be the king and he was anointed to be king. And the problem with King Saul is that he never dealt with the problem of insecurity. That's an amazing thing. He remained insecure. And that insecurity led to him being one that died lonely. That's why I'm very, very, and God is very, very serious about not embracing fear and not embracing insecurity because it's not cute. It will cause you to die a lonely person. I know I'm speaking very like, oof, that's heavy, but it's so true. Fear leads to so many things, and one of those things that leads to is loneliness because when you're afraid, you push things away that God wants to bring into your life. And when you push things away that God wants to bring into your life, you end up years later, where is this? How come I don't have this? Where is these things in my life? And God will remind you, remember when I ushered this in? Remember when I presented this to you? Remember when this? But you were too afraid and you ran away from it. And now you see voids in your life. I said this before. It bears repeating. If you avoid, you will live a life of a void. You will have a void in your life. And there's many people who are constantly avoiding. They're avoiding. They don't want to deal with certain things. They're avoiding. They're avoiding. They're running. They're running. And what are they left with? A void. An emptiness. Loneliness. I want to give you an encouragement. One day, volunteer. Volunteer at a nursing home. Not everyone that's in a nursing home doesn't have loved ones that care for them. So let's be very clear about that. Sometimes a nursing home is very important because you just don't have the ability to care for your, your loved ones. So please understand that. I understand sometimes that's a very difficult situation. You want to care for your loved ones, but you just don't have the ability to. So you, you, you find the best nursing home you can find, and you're there and you're present. So we understand that. But I will also tell you another side to it. There's another side to it where there are people who are by themselves, who never get visits, who never get anyone caring for them in their older years. And you can think, oh, what a shame. And it is a shame. And how come they're lonely? How come this hasn't happened for them? Sometimes, I'm not speaking for every single situation, but sometimes it is a seed that was sown when they were younger. And you don't know that this older in their older years, it's a harvest that they are reaping. Are you hearing what I'm saying to you? I'm taking my time. I didn't plan to say all this, but I want you to see this because King Saul had a problem. So I'm going to start at 1 Samuel chapter 15, verses 24 to 29. But if you're taking notes, you can write this down. Fear of loss invites loneliness. Verse 24. Then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned. So let me stop here. Let me explain what happened. Samuel gave Saul a command from God. This was one of the hardest commands. I'm going to be honest with you. You know, you ever read something in the Bible and it's just difficult to, to, to handle, right? Like, I mean, there's some, I'm going to be honest. I'm not afraid to say it. There's some scriptures in the Bible that are tough. Anybody know about those? There's some scriptures in the Bible that you're like, well, God, Lee, Lord, you serious? And, and this, to me, I'm going to be honest with you. This is one of the hardest things I've ever heard God say. I'm, I'm, I'm going to tell you to you because I'm, I'm not afraid to, to, to 
you know, jar your, your heart a little bit like, oh my God. But this is what God told Saul. He said, I want you to go into the camp of the Amalekites and I want you to kill everyone, even babies. See, I know that's going to mess up with some, with, with some people. So that's going to mess you up there. I want you to kill the animals, the women, the children, the men, everything. That's tough. I can't say, I'm going to be honest with you, I, can't, I have ideas and I can kind of go into it later, you know, if, if necessary, but I can't say I have a crystal clear understanding of that. I'm going to be honest with you. And that's okay, because sometimes you don't fully understand how certain things are said, right? Don't, be, don't, don't get nervous when you can't understand certain things about God. I'm not. I used to try to figure God out. But one thing I realized, I can understand a lot because he gives me grace too, but there's some things I may not understand and that's okay. I have some understanding of this, but not fully. So he said something hard to Saul. I want you to kill everything. Saul was a king. He was also the, the leader of an army. So this was a military uh, uh, command. And Saul had a better idea. His idea was, I will save the best. He killed everybody, but I'm going to save the king of the Amalekites, and I'm also going to save the best animals so we can sacrifice to God. He saved the best. And then God dealt with King Saul and said, I regretted that I've made you king. There's not too many times God used those words. There was one other time he used that word, and that was when he made man. And the Bible says that man was filled with so much evil in the days of Noah that the Bible says that he regretted making man. Ooh, these are some tough things we're hearing today, right? But that's that's what God said. And he said, he told Samuel this, the prophet, I regretted making King Saul the king. Why? Because he didn't follow me fully. He had a better idea. Yeah, I'll do this. And this is why it's important to obey God fully. Someone say fully. Because he was, I would say, 95% there. In my opinion, he did the hardest thing. He killed the babies. He killed the women. He killed the children. He, He did the hardest thing. He kept what in his heart was the good things. The animals, the things that we can sacrifice to the Lord. Stay with me. This is King Saul's heart. And God said, I regretted making him king. So he speaks to Samuel. He says, I want you to deal with him. So, we, so, so then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your words. Because I what? What did he fear? So you thought or you would think that it was because I just want to sacrifice to God. No. You know why he disobeyed God? He was afraid of people. I'll tell you this way. What is the biggest fear that is probably statistically known to be? What, the fear of what? Anybody here? Dying? Okay. Well, you'll see the fear of public speaking is the biggest fear. You'll constantly see, if you, if you look at statistics and things that have said, you'll see the fear, of, the fear of public speaking is the biggest fear. But I'll say it this way. That's not true. It's the fear of man. 
Because the reason why people would say the fear of public speaking is the biggest fear is because what are you afraid of? Being judged by people. People's thoughts, people's opinions, people's rejections, people's acceptance. What are people going to say? It's really the fear of people that's the biggest fear. And Saul had this fear. I'm the king, but what if they reject me? I'm the king, but what if I don't win their trust? I'm the king, but what if? And so when a command came, what happened? I rather obey man. Because this was their idea. They wanted me to save this. I want to win their approval over the approval of God. And if you want to be rejected by God, it's a hard statement, but I want to say this very clear. If you want to be rejected by God, reject his approval over the acceptance of the approval of man. If you want to be rejected by God, make man's approval more important than God's approval. That's a sure way of being rejected. Are you hearing me? Anybody ever made a decision? I'm going to obey God even if it hurts people. I'm going to do God's will even if people don't fully understand or agree with me. I'm going to follow God's plan even if people don't like it. Anybody made a decision like that? This is how you live free from loneliness. Because if you try to hold on to people's approval because you don't want to be lonely, if you try to hold on to people's acceptance because you don't want them to reject you, you will lose what you fear losing. Are you hearing what I'm saying? I don't want to lose my job, so let me compromise my integrity. Guess what's going to happen? You're going to lose your job. But when, you, when you're free... To live out of your own heart and out of your own integrity, you will always have employment. Even if people end up firing you because you chose to keep your integrity, God always has a ram in the bush. He always has something for you. But the person that lives in fear of man is the person who will lose out and who will end up being lonely. Um, Stay with me. This is good. So he says, I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Now, therefore, please pardon my sin and return with me that I may worship the Lord. But Samuel said to Saul, I will not return with you, for you have rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. And as Samuel turned around to go away, Saul seized the edge of his robe. He tried to grab him. You know how you're trying to walk away from someone and they try to grab you? It's exactly what he did. He grabbed the edge of his robe and it tore. So Samuel said to him, the Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today and has given it to a neighbor of yours who is better than you. And also the strength of Israel will not lie nor relent for he is not a man that he should relent. God God was gangster. God takes fear seriously. You know one of the judgments in the book of Revelations? You heard me say this before, maybe. Those who find themselves in the lake of fire. There's some things that are hard to understand. But you know one of those things is you would think it's the murderers, it's the liars, the cheaters. No, one of them is the cowards. Those who are cowards will find themselves a place in the lake of fire. Jesus. Why? Because there's some people who believe but did not receive because I'm afraid of what others might say. Cowards find their place in the lake of fire. Jesus. 
1 Samuel 16, verse 14. But the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and a distressing spirit from the Lord troubled him. In other words, Saul became depressed. I want to talk to you a little bit about depression, because depression and loneliness are like brothers and sisters. He became depressed, and it was a spirit that came upon him that made him depressed or distressed. And Saul's servant said to him, surely a distressing spirit from God is troubling you. Now, I'm going to go a little bit doctrinal with you. I'm going to teach you some things about what this means because this could be, again, another troubling thing, a distressing spirit from God. I'm being very deliberate by saying it that way because that's what it says, but I want you to understand what the Bible is teaching here. So a distressing, a depressing spirit from God was troubling Saul. Let our master now command your servants who are before you to seek out a man who is skillful, who is a skillful player on the the harp. And it shall be that he will play it with his hand when the distressing or the depressing spirit from God is upon you and you shall be well. So I have a few questions I want you to consider. One, what is a distressing spirit? What is a distressing spirit? Very simply, a spirit that makes you feel heavy in heart distressed in mind and depressed in emotion a distressing spirit is a spirit that makes you feel heavy in heart distressed like your mind is you you're losing your mind you you just have no clarity you have no what's going on you just can't think straight and you feel heavy emotionally that's the kind of spirit that was troubling Saul Two, does God have distressing spirits in heaven? No. So you might say, well, it says from God. I'll explain to you what that means. Because it says a distressing spirit from God. So is God releasing the spirit of depression, the spirit of distress over people? Is he, you go, you, you know, here, this is from me. Take this. No. No, not at all. Here's another question. Where does it come from? The evil spirit and defeated enemy called Satan. I'm, listen, I want to be very clear. I understand, especially in this day and age, not only do we have to be careful with what we're saying, but we have to really appreciate the reality of we're living in a generation that is being, that, that, that's under an onslaught of mental health issues. And that's, that needs to be appreciated. We need to understand that. And, and I'm not here to just, just pray a prayer and that's it. I understand that there are layers to this. Okay? I get that. So, but you have to also understand my role here as a pastor. I'm not a mental health counselor. I refer people to that. I'm not that. I'm going to give you the spiritual element of this. Okay? So... Some people, they're dealing with mental health challenges and there is an issue of trauma that they've experienced. A mental health counselor could help you dig through that, make sense of things that you've experienced in life, okay? There are things, there are resources that are there to help navigate you through things. I'm not here for that. I appreciate that and I support that and we direct people to that, but I'm gonna give you a different angle that they can't give you. You understand what I'm saying? You appreciate that. So, 
understand that a distressing or depression spirit doesn't come from God. It is an evil spirit that affects your mind, affects your emotions. That is the root of it. There are natural things you can do to help. I want to be very clear. But there is a spiritual element that you cannot ignore. Because if you ignore it, you will try to medicate this issue away and you will never be able to do that. Oh, you hear what I'm saying? And there's too many people today that are trying to medicate their issues away and it's just creating more bondage. Are you following me what I'm saying? And so, where does it come from? The evil spirit and defeated enemy called Satan. Number four, did God send it or did he allow it? He allowed it. He allowed it. And let me go a little more doctrinal with you. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. I'm going to give you a couple of scriptures concerning this. You know this one, verse 13 says, No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man, but God is faithful, who will not allow. Somebody say, he will not what? He will not what? He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. So here's the thing that you need to understand. God allows you to be tempted. That's what I want you to understand. I said this two weeks ago in Tuesday night prayer. It is God's right to allow you to be tempted. He will permit you to be tested. He allows it. He gives permission for it. He gives you the right to be tested. What does he do in that allowance? He creates parameters by which you are allowed. And one of those parameters is it cannot be more than what you're able to bear. The Bible says that when the word of God is sold into your heart, immediately the enemy comes and he tests it for the word's sake. So God allows you to be tempted. Don't think something's wrong with you because you're being tempted. No, you're being tempted because it's something that is part of life and you have the ability to overcome it. Yes, I love that clap because it's a good, it's a good point to make. You can overcome that. And I want to charge you, live this way. Don't ever succumb to the feeling that you cannot win over the battle of distress and depression and loneliness. You can. Come on, nudge your neighbor and say, you can. But with the temptation, also will make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Let's go into the Old Testament. Job chapter 1, verse 12. Job is a wonderful case study of this. Job, man, had a raw deal. Raw deal. Job lost family, lost his health, lost his money, lost his property. The only thing that God allowed him to keep was his wife who thought he had nothing to live for. She encouraged him to commit suicide. That's the only thing he had left. You would think that'd be the first to go. No, she says, why don't you curse God and die? I just get out of my face, please. Nothing happened to her. Kids died, the property died, everything went away. She lived, encouraging him, curse God and die. That's what he, that was his inheritance. Job was another story that frustrated me when I was 
Like, God, how could someone go through all of this? How could you allow, that's the word, allow, how could you allow this to happen? And you have to understand something in the Old Testament. You won't see something that you will see constantly in the New Testament. You won't see in the Old Testament people resisting Satan. You don't see people doing any kind of spiritual warfare in the Old Testament. You don't see it. Matter of fact, you see the mention of the devil very little in the Old Testament. You know why? Because people in the Old Testament had no grounds to resist him. So everything that was done was always attributed to God because in the end they understood that it was God who allowed it to happen. And since I can't do anything about it, it is God. They couldn't resist Satan. They had no legal grounds. Why could Job say, Satan, I resist you in the name of, in the name of who? In my name? You know, he understood. I don't have legal ground to stand on. This is why in Job 18, he said, I know my redeemer lives. He was seeing in the future, he was seeing the prophetic word that one day I'm going to have a, a redeemer that can be an advocate for me. But as of now, I have nothing to stand on. So everything that happens to me is God doing it because he removed the hedge of protection. It's amazing. This is why I enjoy being a New Testament Christian because I can, I can stand my legal ground in the name of Jesus. When Jesus said all authority has been given to me, when he said all authority has been given to me, therefore go, you understand something? That wasn't true before. And the people didn't have authority. This is why God had a special relationship with the nation of Israel. And the rest, this is going to sound like a harsh thing, but I'm, I'm just sharing some deep things with you today. The rest of the nations you don't hear about in the Old Testament. God relinquished the other nations to other gods. You'll see other nations worshiping other gods, and you don't hear much interaction. You don't, you don't even hear God dealing with those nations. God didn't, even, God didn't even have a problem with that. He says, go ahead, do it. This nation, Israel, I'm keeping for myself. He, didn't he never rebuked other nations for having other gods. He never had a problem with it. This is why in the book of Acts chapter 17, it says, in times past, God winked. He overlooked this. He overlooked the fact that other nations worshiped other gods. But now he's commanding everybody to repent. But prior to that, his only deal was with Israel. So when Israel would step away from the covenant of God, what would God do? He would allow. He would allow judgment. And the instruments of judgment that he, also, he often used was other nations to judge them and to plunder them. And they had no legal right to do anything about it. The only thing they could do, the only thing they could do was repent. That's beautiful. I want you to see something here. Look at Job chapter 3. Oh, Job chapter 1, sorry, verse 12. And the Lord said to Satan, behold, all that he has is in your power. Is in, is in whose power? Yeah. God is speaking to Satan. Because Satan is like, yeah, you know, it's, it's wonderful that Job is blessed and all that. But let me at him. Let me see what he's really about. Let me test him. In fact, 
Satan said prior to this, he says, if you do this, and if you do that, I guarantee you, God, he'll curse you. God didn't say, yeah, I'll do it. He says, you know what? No, no, no. I'll allow you to do it. I know it's tough. Some people, I know, I know that, that it's hard for some of you to understand that. Like, why would God understand? I'm telling you, it was a different covenant. Thank God for the New Testament. Can somebody say amen? Behold, all that he has is in your power. Only do not lay a hand on his person. That means don't kill him. Matter of fact, don't even affect his body yet. Don't even lay a hand on his... No. In other words, God was giving permission. He was giving boundaries. He was giving parameters. He was saying, you can go this far and no further. Look at... And, and this was a very lonely time for Job. We'll just see something. He's going to really connect with you. Job chapter 3, verse 25. Job 3. This is what Job is saying. After he lost everything, what do you say? For the thing I greatly feared has come upon me, and what I dreaded has happened to me. Now, we don't talk about that a lot. All that Job was experiencing, he greatly feared this. Job was one of the richest people in his time, the most respected in his time. He said, when I spoke, no one spoke after me. He said, my path was bathed with cream. The young men stood at attention when I spoke. I had honor. I had dignity. I had wealth. In all of that I had, oh, I was greatly afraid. One day this is going to be taken away from me. I had property, but no one knew secretly when I was sleeping at night. I was dreading this day. I had sons. I had daughters. But quietly in my heart, this happen please the thing I greatly feared this wasn't just a little fear this wasn't just something that you know no, no this was a tormenting fear this was a fear that I slept with I woke up with everyone saw that I had it, everything together everyone saw my property my wealth my, 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 my status my dignity all of that but inside I was afraid and he said the thing I greatly feared has happened what I dreaded has come upon me what you fear losing, you will lose. Oh, that's why I want to charge you by the mercies of God. Break every spirit of fear that wants to detach itself to you. Because that's the, invita that's the invitation. Hey, fear this. So that you can now embrace this. And once you embrace it, you invite it to happen into your life. And you're left in a place of loneliness. And that's exactly where Job was, in a place of loneliness. No one, to be, no one to console him. His friends tried to. It didn't work. He was at a complete loss. So I break the spirit of fear over your life. In the name of the Lord Jesus. What you feared, you will fear no more. I'm going to show you how to do that though. I'm going to show you how to walk in that. This is good so far. Shaking off the spirit of loneliness, distress, and fear. Number one, very simple. This is something that we easily overlook. We try to change course, but I think God wants us to acknowledge what we're afraid of, and he wants you to repent of it. So how do you shake off the spirit of fear? How do you shake off loneliness? How do you shake that off? Repent by acknowledging it. Lord, I have feared this, but I'm making the decision today 
to no longer make this that important. Are you hearing what I'm saying? The reason why we fear things is because in the end, we've made it that important. That's the problem. It's not just because God doesn't want you to fear. No, what he doesn't want is that what you're afraid of has become so important to you that it takes the place of God. That's what he wants you to repent of. Lord, so what if I lose this? I'm still your beloved. That's the place of freedom. So what if this happens to me? That's the place of freedom. He doesn't just want you to repent. Oh, because I want to be bold as a lion. I don't want to be afraid. I want to be a man of faith, a woman of faith. No, it's not about that. It's I don't want this to be that important to me. That's why I'm walking free from fear. That's the place where God has your heart. Oh, I'm going to rattle you. I'm going to rattle you a little bit. So what if I never get married? Yeah, I said it. And I'm a man who believes you can be. So you know where I stand with that. But you got to put it on the block and put it out there for it to be prosecuted. Examine those thoughts and say, what if I lose my marriage? What if I lose my health? You know, I believe in divine health. But don't make anything so important where it ends up being a fear. So what if I lose my job? So what if I lose this relationship? So what? I'm still the Lord's chosen one. I'm still his beloved. I'm still his daughter. I'm still his son. I'm still awesome in Christ. These things will never change. That's what I'm going to base my identity on. That's where the fear is loosened. So you got to come to the place where you say, I repent for making, not, not for fearing, Necessarily, I repent for making this that important. That's what I'm repenting of. I made it too important. I exalted it. I made it something that I have to have. It must be. It must be. If it doesn't, something's wrong with me. And that was the entryway for fear to creep in. That's changing today in the name of Jesus. Number two, how do you walk free from the spirit of loneliness? Distress, depression, begin resisting. There's a scripture in the Bible. It says, resist the devil. We don't preach about that too much. We preach, you know, well, we understand. It's, 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 this is what it is. It's, it's okay. I mean, we're all going through it. No, resist. There is a resistance that you are responsible for. Stop living by your feelings. Are you hearing? I want, I want that to really rest in your heart. Stop living by your feelings. Understand that your feelings are not the truth. And you know it because there are things you felt that you don't feel anymore. They come and they go. So don't live by what you feel. Live by the truth. So when a distressing feeling, a lonely feeling. You feel something that wants to come upon you, disconnecting you from the life of God, from relationships. You feel that this spirit is one of pushing you into a place where you live like a recluse. You feel this thing coming upon you. Resist it. How do I resist? Open your mouth and say, I recognize what this is and I will not stand for it. 
I resist you, spirit of the evil one. I resist you, Satan. The blood of Jesus stands in opposition and you cannot have access to my mind. I will not give you an inch. I will not succumb to this. I will not. That's how you resist. Now, pastor, I did that. Do it again. Because guess what? When you do it, Satan doesn't go back and say, oh my God, what I do? I, I really tempted. No, no. You know what he does? He comes back again. So you know what? You do it again. When the Bible says that when, when, when the devil was tempting Jesus, Jesus resisted. He kept resisting. And then he left them for a more opportune time. That's what it says. For a more opportune. In other words, okay, you got that. I got you. Okay. There's no room here. I see. I'm going to check you now when you're about to die. Let me, let, me, let me come around this time. Hey, do you really want to die? See, before I was trying to tempt you to turn these stones into bread. You wasn't having it. I was trying to tempt you to throw yourself off this cliff. You wasn't having it. I was trying to tempt you to worship me. You wasn't hearing it. Okay, let, let me come around. Now that you're vulnerable, let me, oh, now you're in the garden. Oh, none of the disciples near you. Oh, this is the more opportune time. And let me start suggesting maybe there is a way out. Maybe you don't have to do this. Maybe this is not the right time. So what do you do in that moment? Resist again. The reason why people fall is because they resist, but then they stop resisting. Let me tell you something. Satan will not stop tempting. So you better not stop resisting. He seeks. He roars like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. I'm speaking this over your life. He will find that he cannot devour you. When he comes around, he will say, oh, this is a person that's resistant. This is a person that's speaking the word. This is a person that's not living by their flesh, living by their feelings. Every little bit of rejection, they go into some tailspin and they want to close themselves out. No, no, no. This is a person that knows how to handle difficulty. That even when they are rejected by man, they don't allow that to just be their DNA. They rise up and they say, I am still beloved by God. I, I, I got I to gotta play it another way. I got to go another way with this individual. Too often... We resist, and then we stop. No more in Jesus' name. Let me give you one last point. This is going to bless you. Are you being blessed so far? Commit to worshiping Jesus. This is the word that came to my heart. Worship is like a weapon. We know that. And this is, the, this is what came. Worship is like your worship. You know worships? They are heavily armed. They have artillery, all this. Worship is like your worship. And this is why King Saul called for David to come play. There's a distressing spirit coming upon him. What did he do? He couldn't deal with it. He didn't understand what to do. He was insecure. He was, you know, living in fear. So what did he call? He called for someone that had some connection to the anointing. Look at this, found in 1 Samuel 16, 23. And so it was, whenever the spirit from God was upon Saul, that David would take a harp and play it with his hand. Then Saul would become refreshed. Oh, thank you, Jesus. He would become refreshed and well, and the distressing spirit would depart from him. This is a key, people of God. I don't want to live with distress. I don't want to live with depression. I don't want to live lonely and afraid and isolated. 
I want to be refreshed. I want to live in the wellness of the Spirit of God. You can be a worshiper. Be a worshiper. Now, when I say that, everyone is getting different images. Some of you think it's just, you know, coming to church, clapping your hands, right? Doing a little two-step you do, you know, just keeping your head down. This is worship. We're going to talk about worship very soon. I think maybe even next week I want to go deeper with this. But beyond any outward expression, and there's a lot of outward expression of worship, it starts with angling your heart to this reality. I love this truth. Worship is when you make God your sole dependence. It's different from praise. Praise is when you... Let me help you with praise and worship. It's very simple. Anything that is praise, you can say to man and God. Worship is the words you would never say to a human being. That's how you know the difference between worship and praise when it, when it comes to communicating your heart. Almost anything you say in praise to God, I can say about man. Almost. But there's nothing I can say in worship to God I can say about man. I can say, Lord, you are good. I can say that to people. Lord, you're amazing. You've said that about people. You're amazing. Right? Anything you can say that is praise-oriented, there is a place where you can attribute it to man. But when you get into a place of worship, what that looks like is you are making yourself completely surrendered and dependent upon God. That's where you draw the line. That's what worship looks like. And it starts from the heart. So, I want to be free from loneliness. Very simple. Become a worshiper of God. Why? When you become a worshiper of God, you exalt God above everything. And therefore, you don't live with a sense of dependence on anything. And because you don't live with a sense of dependence on anything, you are free to enjoy everything. When you see something as something I need, a material thing, a relationship, whatever, it complicates the relationship. It complicates your involvement with that thing, and you're frustrated because now you're engaged in lust of it. I need this. You can't let, you, you can't let me go. I can't let you go. It becomes fr- But when you worship God, you look at everything at its place and at its value, and it frees you to enjoy everything that God gives you. Worshiping God allows you to see who God is and allows everything in your life to fall in its place. So you need to begin to say words like this, Lord, you're my everything. You're my everything. That's why R&B songs, you got to be very careful with R&B songs. I mean, some songs are being said to people. I'm like, yo, I'm sorry. I love you, but you're not my everything. There's some songs I can't breathe without you. No, I can breathe without you. I was breathing before you. I'll breathe after you. Now, we could breathe the same air, but I could breathe without you. R&B sometimes is false worship. And you, you put these things in your soul, you don't even realize what you're saying. Without you, I'm nothing. No, I'm something. I'm something without you. See, you don't realize it, but that's worship. A lot of R&B is worship. God wants you, he wants to angle that. Angle, ang- angle that to him. Though without you, I'm nothing. 
Lord, with you, I'm everything. Without you, I can do nothing. Oh, I can do all things through you. That's worship. What does that do? That allows you to see the things that God puts in your life in its proper perspective. So you don't engage with it with a sense of desperation. And you don't invite fear into that equation. And when you don't invite fear into that equation, you can enjoy it for what it is. Because like I said in the beginning, what you fear losing, you will lose. So I'm cutting the spirit of fear in the name of Jesus off your life. There is no fear here in Jesus' name. Amen. You need to put it out there. I, I said this before. You need to prosecute your thoughts. Don't run from it. Sometimes the way people resist temptation, they, oh, I don't want to think about that. No, no, no. Think about it. Let's prosecute it. Let's prosecute it. You're tempted to cheat on your wife? Let's talk about that. What if I cheat on my wife? What will happen? Let's lay it all out. Let's talk about it. Let's examine it for what it is. Let's expose it for the lie. See, what we do is, no, 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 Satan, I resist you. No, 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 I don't resist you. I, I don't resist you that way, that is. I resist you by prosecuting your thoughts. Because they're not my thoughts. Oh, you want me to entertain this? Let's think about it. That's what Jesus says. Uh-uh, God said, man should not live by, by, by bread alone, by, 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 but, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. He begins to prosecute it. Not, oh, stop, stop, stop. Ah, no, 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 no. Not stop, 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 stop. Let's talk. Let me show you how this is a false argument. You want me to deny Jesus? Let's talk about it. And then when he finished talking about it, he says, get behind me, I'm done. There's a time to say, get behind me, I'm done. I answered you already. I'm not doing it. This is why we can live free from the spirit of depression, distress, and loneliness. No more loneliness in your life. Why? Very simple. You're not going to make anything that important by which it adds value to your life or makes you who you are. Jesus will be your cornerstone. Come on, lift up your hands. Say, Lord, you're my cornerstone. You're who makes me what I am. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Do you believe that? Come on, give him a shout of praise if you believe that. This concludes today's message. If you need prayer, want to give a donation, or would like more information about Life Church, visit us at www.nylifechurch.com.